Hello everyone and welcome to Verbal Reasoning Season 2. We'd like to make some quick announcements before we start the episode. First things first, in Season 2 we will not be releasing episodes on Mondays as you are used to in Season 1. Instead, we'll be releasing episodes on Wednesdays at 5.30am so the episode is ready for you to listen to on your way to work. We'd also like to point out that from this point going forward, we'll be having special guests every other week. But what will happen in the weeks in between, I hear you ask? Well, simple. The podcast episodes will feature just Erin and Steve, and we'll discuss things that are up to date and current with the times that we're in. Furthermore, we're very excited to announce that we have just launched our Patreon page. If you sign up to our Patreon for the cheap price of $2.99 per month, what you'll receive is the following. You'll get the podcast earlier than Wednesday, which is when everyone else will get it. Also, we will write weekly articles which you will get and no one else will. Plus, you can suggest topics for us to discuss, therefore having an even greater input into the show. Now that I've bored everyone to death, I'd like to introduce this week's guest. His name is Jonathan Bertrand, also known as the Doctor of Social Media on Instagram. We'll be discussing all things social media as well as social media dependency. Enjoy. So today uh, we have a very special guest, Jonathan, and um, maybe it'll be easier for me to let him explain who he is and what he's up to. Hello, my name is Jonathan Bertrand from Orlando, Florida, USA, and I just wanted to say thank you for inviting me to the VRP podcast. Uh, and I just would like to say um, that social media awareness, what we do here in the United States, is a global conversation. And this is um, something that I've spent the last 10 years uh, publicly preaching, advocating, and educating users of social media on how social media impacts you, the user, from personal to business, as well as an educational stand form. So um, over the past five years, I actually started a nonprofit called the Global Touch Foundation, where we teach people those same exact things of how it affects your mental behavioral health and how to navigate this, this area of media, meaning social media. So we're one of the first in the United States to do it, and in some countries internationally, I'm introduced on the government level all the way down to the university level. Um, so that is what I do, and that is the kind of things that um, you know, we take pride in, in understanding how to operate and navigate these waters. That's quite interesting, because you mentioned that, you also mentioned, I mean, on a personal level, everyone knows, everyone uses social media, but you then mentioned on a business level as well. For me, that's quite interesting. Um, perhaps you can explain, like, what exactly, when you say social media, you know, disorders and dependencies, what does that exactly mean? Like, how can we visualize that? Okay, so how can you visualize it? So, for example, um, one thing that I do run by people is how uh, people may be watching trends online. And they don't realize that social media is like a database of information on someone's persona. And in the normal, normal world, because I'm 26, in the normal world before social media, we, we only paid attention to the public and the private. So we didn't really know what happened in between that communication standpoint. Because when I meet people, you know, I could definitely tell you how they are face to face. But in the online world, I let people know there's this layer gap. There's like a middle line that this generation, the millennial generation, has been thrust into. 
And they don't realize that when you give information publicly, when you tell people how you're feeling about your day, when you're posting the locations, before, nobody really had to worry about their privacy. Nobody had to worry about, you know, oh, do I, are we connected to the same individuals? You can kind of keep certain things private and you can keep things hidden. Now, once you post it, it becomes reality. And I always tell people that one post can change the mind, one comment can change the generation. Every single one of us have a generation within us and we keep it going. So when you post and say certain things, their perspective of you can alter a whole reality that either was there or was never there. And that holds more impact than the average individual knows. And I mean average individual, I mean the individual that just doesn't really care much and just does what they do. But it doesn't matter until it affects you directly. So this middle layer that you're speaking about in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, I guess the disconnect between reality and online, um, or just the bridge between reality and online. Um, where does that, that middle layer fit into within the dependency angle of it all? So when, does it, when do you start to develop that dependency on, as you say, social media, for example? Okay, so in the studies that we've done and the things that we've been able to kind of observe is that the dependency really comes down to the user's perspective. Um, so like anything, like an addiction, um, you know, you have to be enabled by something. So you take away social media, you know, you really have nothing to kind of trigger those emotions, trigger those feelings, trigger that fear of missing out, or here in the States, we call it FOMO. Um, that's a new term they just came up with in the past couple of years. So when it comes to the dependency leading to a disorder, I let people know that if you take away social media and you become suicidal, um, you become anxious, your blood pressure gets high, you start having heart problems, which I've seen, um, or your everyday life gets thrown out of whack because of no social media, you are dependent. And that right there to me, you know, says a lot about, and I keep going back to this generation, this generation, because that's what we've grown up in. So all we know is social media. We don't go to regular news outlets anymore. We check social media. We don't go to the regular top anchors of the world we go to people like Trevor Noah, you know, who bring in a comic relief to the media. And I let people know that when you start realizing people's behavior online, you'll see them go from public to private or private to public. And the two different variations are someone that may be working in a high profile position that normally you would never get in touch with or have opportunity to communicate with, you communicate with, now they're in the public. Or someone that's very public where you know you can communicate with them at any time, and then now they cut, cut communications because of things have changed, whether it's personal or in the business world. So I tell people it's a very fine, interesting line, and it's very hard to generalize, but the thing I can say is, is that watch people's personas online, because that's how you'll see a change in belief, a change in perception, a change in their, in their viewpoint of the world. And once you start analyzing those things, and I call that a cyber psychoanalysis, is understanding someone's cyber behavior and, and, and triggers. And some people understand that better than others. I mean, would this be like an oversimplification of it if I was to say, for example, uh, the whole kind of, you know, liking and following and stuff like that, that, that prompts us almost a neurological response in individuals where 
they become you know with alcohol like how when you drink alcohol you get a bit dizzy or whatever and that that's a positive uh, hormonal release in your brain is kind of similar in the sense of when you get a like you get this positive reaction to it and that's maybe what initially starts off or triggers or cascades the kind of dependency you end up having on social media because you know like you said um i guess before you you might have been private but then you can become very public with just one tweet or one you know post and next thing you know that that kind of attention can become almost addictive i guess oh it it, it is and that's something where i tell people so it, nowadays you can make one tweet and you go viral and you become a world superstar overnight from a post and mind you, some people have no substance whatsoever, never did anything significant in their yeah. life. But because of a post, they're now 300,000 followers, companies are coming out of the woodwork, they're multimillionaires overnight, all because of a viral post. But when you got individuals, and I myself have experienced this, where you've done things that are global, astronomical, never done before, there's references for days, but all of a sudden, you know, people downgrade, or as I heard people say, lowercase i for influencer. So there's uppercase i for those people that have a lot of influence, and there's lowercase i for those influencers that are under the rug influencers, so you really don't know until you come across them, but they have a lot of pull. Um, so it's just, you know, it, it's a very weird space. And with social media awareness and understanding people's dependency and mind you it's not always a bad thing so our goal with 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 the foundation that i started isn't to down talk social media it's just to raise awareness of the impacts and that we're going into a you could say george orwell you know clockwork orange type mm. world where now some countries are even doing social scores and they're using social media to develop those social scores based on your posts based on your likes, what kind of parties you affiliate with, and the whole nine. And those are becoming big, big, big legal issues. And nobody knows how to really address it because it's coming so quickly. I think this is like the issue of our generation. Uh, you know, it's only cropped up if you think about it in the past like 10 years really on, on a personal level. Um, and I, like you said before, I mean, it affects business as well. Uh, you know, beforehand data was easily shared and perhaps, uh, I mean, me, myself, I work in, let's say, like a data science background. And mm -hmm. I know how much information there is out there, which perhaps some people don't really <laughs> want to know about or, or don't know is happening to them. So I, I think we need to be, like you said, we need to be educated and careful on how uh, data is used, especially when it comes to regard to social media. Um, for example, like I think recently in the US, you had the elections, right? And the big topic was about the use of data from social media websites or targeting on social media websites to basically kind of like uh, affect elections. Um, so yeah, it's, it shows that it's clearly going to affect people. But so, so in the end, would you, you touched on it where you said, oh, you know, it's not necessarily a good thing. So, so you wouldn't label social media as a bad thing, really? Or would you, would you give it that name if you had to like distill it? <laughs> Okay, okay, see, because see, that's the thing. It depends on your usage. It could be good and bad. It could be, it could be a, a, it's a moderator of perception and reality. So it, it literally is a case-by-case -case basis, and that's why I say we can't generalize what we do. Um, all we can really do is listen to people's stories and 
guide them in the right way in their in their perspective because at the end of the day you know your network is your network so but your network's network is your network so you know it could be great i mean there's things that i've done where i would never be able to do without social media but i also know i've also used it in a negative way where i could have ruined my whole career off of a post but people didn't realize that i was being bullied i was suicidal um, I also dealt with depression. So, you know, people just saw the post that I was literally crying for help on social media. Like, I need help. I don't want to do this. I don't want to take my life. But, you know, it, but I was the one that was getting almost put in jail. I was put in a mental facility for, for almost a week. And, you know, I was sitting in the facility like, why am I here because of social media? Like, I, I, lost, I lost connection with reality. So in that time in, in moment, it was bad. But I came out of that and I said, hold up, I have two options. Become a solution to this problem or become a statistic, meaning pull the trigger, go to jail, and become another thing in the, in the headlines as someone that lost their mind, posted it online, and this is what happened. So I always tell people, that's relative to your situation. It's up to you to decide if you want to use it for positive or negative. The, the power is in your hands and you can't let social media influence your own reality. So uh, we're quite big here uh, on uh, perception and reality and stuff like that. You know, we, we've gone over these sort of top, sorts of topics a lot in the past where we've obviously said, you know, your perception is your reality. But what we're finding on specifically with social media and you know, these other big corporations is like, for example, if you use, I don't know, TikTok, uh, you like a certain number of cat posts, for example, then you start seeing more cat posts because the algorithm will show you what you like, because the whole concept of social media is to keep you on there as long as possible. So if you, let's say, go on Facebook and they, uh, they notice that you like, I don't know, a political party's page, then they'll keep feeding you information about that political party. So your perception is literally being warped and changed by algorithms online. You know, what, what sort of importance do you think maybe, uh, you know, a Facebook or an Instagram or a Twitter, you know, what sort of uh, role do they have in, in what you've just described, this disconnect from reality? I mean, surely they should be held to account to an extent as well, because what we see is directly as a result of what they put in front of us. Well, here in America, uh, you know, um, propaganda and, and, and if I'm correct, I believe Sigmund Freud's nephew created propaganda, specifically the name, um, during military time, if, that's, if I could remember what I read correctly. Yeah. Um, but that's something yeah. to where, you know, what used to be military-based type discussions and, you know, nothing happens on the civilian is literally happening to us every single day now. And we've accepted it because it's popular culture. And um, the way the companies are structured now there, there, there's, this, there's this law called Section 230 in the United States. And basically this law says that the companies as a company cannot be sued for what individuals do on their platforms. So, so only people that can be sued is if, if you make a threat on social media here in the States and it falls in my jurisdiction. And mind you, I'm not a lawyer, but this is just what I've actually heard in congressional hearings that you know, you can be tried for whatever law and people don't know the law because it's so brand new that there's stuff that happens and you're just like, well, okay, well, how did this company get so powerful and how are they able to not be sued? 
but nobody knew 20 years ago when this law was developed that social media would literally ruin elections when social media will mm -hmm. literally create companies that are more powerful than governments that are worth more than that worth more than worth more than most governments and you know bring in the type of data that's all it is they're a data driven you know company that started out with marketing and branding started out with that and then it turned into now we control literally how you think and that's something to where as an advocate as someone that speaks about this with people all over the world i tell them you know people don't read terms and conditions anymore because absolutely it went from, not absolutely not i've never read terms before. and conditions once yeah exactly i only skimmed through it because i just wanted to see where the information was going but by the time you skim through it you're on page 90 you know exactly, and yeah. you're just like there's too much to read and at the end of the day it's already set in stone so the moment you log in you opt in you don't opt out and now i think uh, what instagram just released some new stuff now where they were saying that um now they can track through your through your phone or through your your, your videos all this stuff and guess what people still gonna use it because they've gotten us conditioned conditioned like any dependency you're being conditioned even though it's not you know social media isn't directly a a, a drug here it, it to me it's considered because social media is like crack cocaine because every hit you get every like every post whether it's a small amount of dopamine hit or a lot you're being stimulated and the more you're stimulated the more you're going to come back regardless if it's good or bad and i've seen people crash and burn because of a post because of a like and more personally or just to give you a story but i find myself on instagram even though there's i've just scrolled through and i close the app Two seconds later, I'm scrolling again. And I'm like, I catch myself saying, why have I done this five times in a row? This makes no sense. And I, to, if we're being honest, I'm obviously addicted, guys. So yeah, laugh at me, guys, through the other side. But <laughs> I think this is a phenomenon that's shown like other, elsewhere, uh, elsewhere as well. For example, like we on, actually, the point I really want to make is that are we dependent on social media or, or do we need social media in the sense of, in today's life, to, uh, to communicate with family members is usually done through social media. To advance your uh, work network, for example, LinkedIn, here's another social media account. For your even relationships, people go to social media to fill in that void. Up to even food, people go to, you know, delivery apps. And it's come to a point where I'm kind of making the conclusion that we, it's rigged, so we need it. Is that well, true? Oh, no, no, no. It, it, it's beyond true. I mean, that's the whole point of social media is to be social in the media space. And that's why I said, you know, when you get to a certain point within the social media space, you lose touch with reality. You forget that you have actual friends that you can go out with. You don't have to do a Zoom call. You don't have to, oh, hey, well, instead of calling me and expressing your feelings and emotions, let me just post it and let me see how many likes I can get and have sympathy for it. And, and some things that I say are controversial because people can't handle the truth. And yes, it did take a lot of that social development um, aspect out of growth, human growth. And when it comes to the algorithms and whatnot, we're being catered to, we're giving convenience. And in America, if you can bring convenience, you are the gold mine. And that's what social media does. I don't have to type in numbers 
to download. I can, I can be visually stimulated by watching your videos and videos or videos and photos. And if your photos are decent enough or if they're banging, guess what? I'm going to like it. I'm going to follow it. And I'm going to want to see the next post you, you make. And some people know how to manipulate this to their advantage. And these companies also knew that. That's why the term influencer wasn't even the thing 20 years ago. What, what was an influencer? We don't know. It was created because of social media. We had celebrities. Now celebrities aren't even influencers anymore because there's celebrities who don't even have as much followers as the influencer. So who's really the powerful one in, in the room? And that's the kind of thing that this current day in social media relates to. That's what they relate to. That's what they want. They urge for it. They earn for it. And they'll do anything. They'll compromise their whole life for a like, follow, and a post. So what can we do to help ourselves? Is the solution to unplug or is, is there something else we can do apart from that? Yes. There is a solution. And I honestly, this, this may be counterintuitive, but I tell people, don't just unplug. Don't unplug. Be aware. Because the individuals that are more, I can say, susceptible to dependency and addiction of social media, which are two different things, I let people know. Don't unplug. Wing yourself off slowly, but do not fully unplug because what you're going to realize is that everything is integrating to the online space. So I'd rather you learn it, learn how to navigate it, learn your personas, meaning your social media persona, and make it as authentic to your reality in real world as possible. Because when people meet you in person, they're going to automatically go straight to your social accounts. And they're going to piece it together if you're lying or not. And that can make or break you. You may have the, the sweetest spirit ever in the world, the most money in the world. But if people can't trust you and things don't add up, they're never going to want to work with you. That's quite interesting. Um, yeah, I think that kind of touches on uh, what Steve was saying earlier with regards to, um, you know, there is a dependency aspect of it. But at the same time, we do need social media because, you know, as you just pointed out, who's going to want to work with someone who they can't find on social media, they can't contact, they can't get in touch with. It's a weird kind of balance that we need to find in between of this dependency and um, actually needing social media. But I think maybe just to, just to kind of uh, move the move the conversation to a slightly different direction, um, you know, even prior to you coming onto the podcast, we did discuss uh, the advent of GDPR, which is the General Data Protection Regulations here in the UK, which is a set of rules put out by the government um, where they're trying to regulate data control. And it's more about, you know, giving people their privacy and not, you know, doxing individuals who don't want to be doxed, basically. Um, yes. You know, what do you think about that sort of initiative by the government? Do you think that's that's a good thing, um, or you know, how, how do you view it? Um, see, well, being an American and dealing with what we, what we deal with, uh, with data and just we're all about laws here, you know, and, and freedom of speech, um, <laughs> you know, the American way. Um, but one thing about it, and like I said, I, I just recently heard, and, and I've heard about laws but I've never heard about this one specifically in Europe. Um, so just, just looking at it and just going over it, um, you know, it, it's for example here, it says, um, you know, everyone responsible for using their personal data has, has the, the follow, has to follow strict rules um, called data protection principles. Um, and the closest thing that I can think of here to that in the United States is called section 230 
where basically that is internet legislation in the United States, um, and it's called the Communication Decency Act of 1996. And all it does really is give immunity to website publishers from third-party content. So we're third-party content when we post on their sites. Um, and from what I see here in the UK, or well, from the UK site, uh, from their government site, it's basically, uh, you know, there's, it says right here, automatic decision-making process with no human involvement. Um, so that's wild. Like that right there would shake the whole industry in the United States because that's all algorithms are. It's human machine, you know, inter integrating between our thoughts and the company. So you add that element in, oh, people are going to lose billions. Companies are going to fail. And here in the United States, that's something that we can't have because business is priority and you know we haven't really put privacy at the utmost until it became a problem with the elections so um you know just seeing in europe european laws from what i've seen have kind of set the standard for what everybody else follows and the tide has changed so you know just seeing you guys have very strict laws like super strict um, yeah incredibly you know, I'm, I'm like, I mean, I don't even think some of the stuff I posted in the past would even be qualified as legal in Europe. So, you know, but like here too, I see it says like um, uh, or, um, gender or gender orientation um, cannot be, you know, kind of like discussed or, you know, discriminated against. Here, oh, people do it all the time. Like I know people that have literally lost their supermodels that have lost their whole career because of one post about their perspective, mind you, their perspective, on gender um, transformation, the whole nine, and the a whirlwind of trouble came on doc, like got put on Dr. Phil, like all these big blogs covered the one post, a Twitter post, and I would have never known who this person was if it wasn't for that. So you know, with laws like that, it's gonna come that way regardless, because eventually that's the way the world is gonna go, and if Europe takes it, eventually America, America is gonna go that way. And we're slowly understanding the law of that, but we got to have it our way. So, you know, I, that's mm. going to be something when I, when I get to that point, um, now I know about this law. So, you know, maybe I just may have to, you know, integrate, yeah. you know, some of your guys' <laughs> law into the American law and figure out how it can, how it can work. Yeah, I mean, uh, I work in medical research and obviously over there, confidentiality is absolutely essential. And uh, GDPR is something that we, you know, we have to follow. You can't not follow it. It's a massive breach of uh, confidential information. If you discuss a patient's medical records or any, basically anything to do with a patient with an outside third party. And so obviously GDPR is something that's fantastic in relation to medical research and medicine and so on. Um, but I think if we take a tangent off of that and we say, okay, so here's a, here's a sort of set of regulations being set by the government to try and help control the flow of data. Um, you know, what, at what point do you think the government shouldn't intervene? Like, so for example, if tomorrow the government was to say, okay, you have to put in uh, your passport details to uh, open up a Twitter account. What, what do you think? Do you think that's something that should be looked into further or do you think that shouldn't happen? <laughs> Tough question. <laughs> I, I, I like that right there. If that got brought up in in Congress, in the Senate, or even just on a national inquiry, I mean, I, I mean, I, I've never even thought about that. You know, that that's never as an American, 
I'm so used to freedom of speech and access to these things for free. Um, that would, be mon that would be monumental for us. Like we wouldn't probably know how to act about that because one, passport is like our passport. That's our way around the world. That's like our, our government ID basically. Um, you know, if you said put in your government ID in order to access this so we can, like to me that, mo that, that means monitoring. So when I hear putting your passport, I'm thinking they're following me, but they're already doing that. So this is what I mean, yeah. Those things where you, we have to figure out a way to integrate without causing a panic. And mm. I don't know how they did it in Europe because like I said, this, that, this is new to me for that specific law. But here in the United States, it's all about how you say it and when you say it. So if you say it during an election year, it, it's no holds bar. It's all, oh, they're trying to steal our data. But say it in like two years, you know, a year, year and a half when nobody really thinking about it, it's just another law that could be passed. But it takes mm. so much to get a law passed here. People don't even look into it. I think also like depending on the region of the world, obviously they have different politics, different culture. Yeah. So I think a solution in one place might not be a solution in another place. And so we have to especially keep in mind and that with that in mind. Um, but that's quite interesting. Yeah, you're right. In the US, I can't ever see, like you said, with freedom of speech, you know how passionate yes. uh, Amer American rights are. I, I can't ever see that happening, uh, even though, as you rightfully said, they already have this information. But if this hits uh, you know, news outlets and people get a whiff of it, it's, it's not good news. <laughs> I mean, well, and, and you got to think about it, too. You know, millennials, some of them don't even have passports. So if that was a requirement to use social media, I mean, we, 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 we would, you, you would be rewriting the whole ecospace of the online world in the United States. And you'll mm -hmm. be rewriting every company policy because even companies use, use social media. So it would, be, it would have to be like a class structure. Like, okay, if you're a company, you, you log into this portal. If you're a regular user, you use this. And then we go into the, like I said, I don't know if anybody's read Clockwork Orange, but it was all about, you know, dystopia reality, you know, things mm -hmm. being sectioned in classes. So the moment you said that, the American mindset in my brain was like, oh my gosh, this Clockwork Orange has literally, you know, passport tracking, um, you know, social score, um, all that stuff they're doing in China right now, like here in the United States. Exactly. You know, what is freedom of speech? There is no such thing as that anymore in my, in my mind because once you have no freedom of speech, meaning you, you're being monitored, um, you can be banned from a site because of what you said, Edward Snowden, um, you know, after he exposed all the reality and now people are like, he needs to be pardoned. You know, it, it, it just opens up a whole other conversation. And all I'm trying to do is just get people to understand the basic. Be aware, be, be critical of what you post, post responsibly, because what you say, and do online can and will be used against you whether you know it or not mm, but would it let me let me play devil's advocate here all right so if oh, i yeah. said to you you have to actually make yourself known so you can't use a username where you're like you know bad boy mike or something you have to put your actual name michael michael smith and you need to put in all of your information would that not make people more accountable for what they post online and make them think more about what they post online. So when I've said it, I, my initial thought wasn't necessarily monitoring. It was more about, you know, internet trolls, false, yeah. uh, false news and, you know, fake news or whatever. Um, and, you know, people who spread misinformation, 
if yeah. you know exactly who they are because they have to put in this information, would that not make them think twice before they post and do these things online that they're currently doing? That is a great perspective. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, my, my name is Jonathan Bertrand all the way. So, I mean, people can Google me and type in that name and they'll see all my history. So that held me accountable. But when I first started using social media, I used to go by the name McLovin's. Nice, nice. And, and, and I used that from 2010 to 2014 until I got to college. So, but because I realized that when people were looking at my name, I, I wanted to be a professional, you know, but when they looked at my name, it came up some like, you're, you know, American gigolo, you know, <laughs> you know, and no, accountability would be on level 10 with that. But also too, in the same light, um, you know, that right there will cut down on user, you know, user numbers for companies. So, I mean, yes, to your point, that would be wonderful. That would be a great um, attribute, but also to place double advocate on that from a corporate standpoint, that would take away from a lot of their user space. Um, and then also I think it would hurt a lot of their endorsements, sponsorships. So they just have to, and like I said, that's capitalism here in America. That's capitalism. So that's what they put first. So I was just, just about to say, why not just say F the corporation, let's just reduce the number of people online so more people can go outside and see one another face to face. Would that not be easier, a Easier said than done, <laughs> but, but here in America, um, you know, for example, like Jeff Bezos, when it comes to Amazon, this guy's almost worth $200 billion, you know, mm. and at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I've tried that method and I found myself all the way up to the chairman of the board of Microsoft in 2016. And this is on my website. I'm not name dropping. It's public. And yeah. that didn't happen because I was just, you know, some random off the wall. That was because people can search my name, people can look it up. And I wasn't against the big corporations. I knew that what I was doing was eventually going to get there, but not going to lie. It came four years too early. So, I was four years ahead of any, anybody talking about this in Silicon Valley. So I was like, dang, you know, like if I would have known this, this information was coming four years ago, I probably could have got a Microsoft on board with social media awareness. And we would have probably been having this conversation, you know, probably face to face or over in some big boardroom in Silicon Valley, you know? So it, 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 like you said, it's very, very, very a fine line of capitalism here. And money rules everything when it comes to the American way of things. In Europe, they're concerned about the citizen. And that's something, just from my perspective as an American, and having talked with people in education, university, our unis there from England to Germany to Austria, um, I, I see they prioritize the citizen, except for here in the United States, they prioritize capitalism. And that's the thing where um, there's always that battle of policy, always that battle of special interest groups, lobbyists, mm -hmm. and more. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think over here, it's, it's almost a, a sheep in, uh, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing where they say they prioritize the citizen, but they don't really. But they, on, the outward, on the outward look, at, you know, looking in, it, it almost seems as though they do care. But I think uh, the point you made there was very valid in that it's such a massive industry that you can't just say, you know what, screw Amazon, yeah. screw Microsoft, screw whatever we're going to do, X, Y, Z. Um, but then again, that goes back to the very first question. How accountable do we have to hold these co corporations for social media dependency? For, I think, for Aaron, people's I, lives being ruined? 
Aaron, I, I think like we, if we ever rely on companies to be accountable, that's where we fail. I, I think really accountability comes in governance. It comes in basically top-down approach. We, we can't rely on companies to make changes, in my opinion. Um, I, I, I think the way like Jonathan is doing it is correct. I mean, top-down and also awareness for people. I mean, people can choose how to cooperate with these companies. If they understand how these companies are run or how their information is being used, you can make the right decisions so they can't be used necessarily in the worst way possible that affects you. So I, I think that's the way to go. Uh, I think Jonathan agrees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I mean, and, and that's basically what it is. I mean, I, I knew top, top down, like if I went straight to the top, like I did already, I mean, cybersecurity and data privacy or data protection were the two conversations four years ago. But now you see that's the number one conversation in the world right now, besides, you know, elections and all that other stuff. So, yeah. like, you know, like he said, you know, as someone who has been to the mountaintop and seen it and been back to the bottom, you know, I've seen how they think and they don't care about us. So being someone that actually cares and that actually has the terms that has the rights to these terms, you know, they could have easily crushed me years ago, but I was smart enough to think outside of social media and say, okay, if I was an executive of a multi-billion dollar company and I ran half of the world's intelligence and data from FBI, NSA, all this other stuff and ran governmental programs, what would I want to see social media awareness? Because I know that if I can at least educate or indoctrinate in a positive way the usage of social media, guess what? The more you know, the better. But because we villainize social media so bad, they haven't been able to actually say, hey, well, what if, what if we introduce um, an educational platform for people to learn about what we do and how we do it so we don't get made like the bad people? Because if you teach someone, guess what? It's at their discretion at that point to either learn or not to learn. And if you listen to our politics and laws in the United States, no one does that. No one does that. They just talk about the negative and they talk about how it's impacting, but where are the solutions? And that's the difference between us at the Global Touch Foundation and them. We bring solutions, not problems. Mm. Yeah, I feel that. Maybe we can reel it back just a little bit away go from the big ahead. topic and go straight back down to the people. And perhaps you can give us maybe two, three things that people on an everyday basis should be aware of and can make a difference on, on, on their day-to-day -day lives. Okay, so two or three things is watch the time you spend on social media. Um, time management is key. You know, the more time you spend online, the more time you begin to lose the, your identity and who you are as a person. Number two, pay attention to what you take in in the online world. So if you take in negativity, eventually your life is gonna be negative and it's gonna sneak up on you quicker than what you can adjust to. So take in positive thoughts, think, take in positive people. And also to, for the third, don't let the followers and likes dictate what you're going to do. Live in the moment, carpe diem, seize the moment. Because eventually you're gonna realize a whole year passes by and you spent your time comparing yourself to people that are traveling the world and living their life. You only have one life to live. And remember, social media is going to be there. The platforms will change, but social media will always be there. And remember, 
post responsibly because they're watching. Nice. <laughs> um, so just to, you know, kind of heading into our final little section here, uh-huh. uh, we wanted you to kind of tell us a little bit more about a book, I believe you're writing or you've written. Oh. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. if you could explain to us a little bit about the book, what your intentions are with the book and uh, when it's coming out, etc. I think that'd be great. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, so the, the, the book is called The Theoretical Framework for Social Media Dependency Disorder. And it was basically written as a way to bring in together in a book form 10 years worth of advocating research and understanding social media dependency. But not only that, but also educating and bringing solutions um, to those that may have suffered from depression, anxiety, um, suicidal thoughts in understanding the psychological effects of constant social media usage. Um, we introduced terms such as the triple conscious theory, introducing the social media persona, um, as well as new psychological terms such as cyber psychoanalysis, which is basically a nod to Sigmund Freud's psychoanalysis. Um, and we actually challenge his perspective 100 and plus years ago to now examine the cyber psychoanalysis, which would be addressing the social media persona. Um, and then we also go as far as understanding disability inclusion because I am someone with disability. Um, so someone that understands how the psychological mind works online. Um, I know that a lot of people develop disabilities because of social media usage and such as schizophrenia um, or any other psychological ailments that may happen. Then we go into the biology of how social media affects you and could possibly change your genetic coding, depending and seeing if it actually could be hereditary. Um, when you are dependent on social media, does it pass down the line? So the theoretical framework is just to raise awareness, um, challenge people's perspective in the research community and to identify new symptoms of social media dependency disorder. Um, and to just help people and let them know that people are actually out there and we actually do care. And we're not here to capitalize off your demise. We're not here to capitalize off your dependency. All we want to do is bring this forth and partner with people, companies, organizations, governments that actually understand what we're doing and understanding the long-term positive impacts of the theoretical framework of social media dependency disorder and knowing that this is beyond me, this is beyond us, this is for generations to come to understand and do more than just post about it. So uh, what would you say when you were writing this book was uh, one of the more difficult aspects of writing? I mean, uh, the topic you're discussing is obviously quite important, but it's also a big topic of a lot of different things, angles to attack it from. So, uh, you know, what, what was the most difficult aspect of it? One of the most difficult aspects of it was as the person that's been talking about this for 10 years, I actually had to bring in a, a, a co-writer. Um, her name is Nyla Keith and uh, she understood the, the, more, the more simplistic version of my mind. And I was more tackling the global aspect and she was able to kind of bring it in section by section and understanding that, you know, hey, this may be a big undertaking, but as long as people know the general basics of what it is, um, we can still do a lot of work and we can still do a lot of impacting. Um, and just the potential of writing it, you know, just knowing that I was doing something important and knowing that we were helping people actually helped it make it a lot easier 
But once it got near the end, I started feeling that anxiety because one thing I was always told here in the States is that you, you put it into a book, ignorant people aren't going to read, but the people that change the world and make an impact are going to read and they're going to apply what they read. So I knew that the words that you write could trigger whole policies, could trigger whole research divisions um, because we've been in those areas. But I also knew having it in a book sets you apart from the people that are just talking. So you know, it, that was one of the challenges that, you know, I could say I had to get over and why it took me 10 years to do. I think it definitely gives a, a sense of more legitimacy when someone reads something on a, in a book rather than when they just hear it. So I can definitely understand why you would, why you would write this book. And I think it's at a great time, uh, you know, right now with the, you know, with the news covering social media, you know, you saw Mark Zuckerberg in Congress getting grilled by AOC and stuff like that. So it is, I think, the right time now really to really talk about these sorts of topics as well. It's not just about corporations, but as you said, about, about people and how they use social media and, and how they can become dependent and so on. Just, I just really appreciate that you actually take your time out to come to us and actually speak to us about this important topic, as Erin said. Uh, as you know, it's affecting people worldwide and even me and my business, I can see it day to day how data is so important and how it's being used. Um, so it, it's really good that this is making headway. And like you said, putting it in a book allows you to fully, let's say, expand your thoughts and lay it out in a full and presentable way uh, in your own kind of time. And when people read it, they'll be able to fully understand what your thinking is as, as opposed to when, you know, when you're speaking, you might forget a point or et cetera. So I, yeah, I tell people to take a look at the book. Um, I, I guess it's an ebook as well. Um, oh yes. Yes, Kindle. yes. I apologize. It's, it's, so it's actually on Kindle. Um, it's on Kindle for 40 us dollars. And, and you know, some people are, you know, some people actually say that with the information in the book is worth more than what I'm actually putting the price as. Um, but I just let people know that, you know, when you're dealing with a pioneering person, um, you can't really put a price to this. Um, so I let people know that this is actually non-for-profit, a non-for-profit book. So I don't make any money off of it. This goes straight to research and development. Um, this, and, and my goal is to actually get this into universities um, as well as possibly programs. Um, so whoever is listening to this in the UK, um, you know, my information is online and I, I'm so thankful for you guys to just give me the opportunity um, to share my platform to your UK base um, or your European base and just allowing me to kind of give you guys this insight that normally, you know, people think I'm psychotic and delusional, but, you know, I have actual valid points to say and you don't just spend 10 years talking about something and not being able to bring value. You know, the whole goal is to influence in a positive way, but also open avenues and doors for those people that are already in the space and educating them to make a, make a change. So that's really what we're trying to do here. So thank you. Exactly, perfect. Thank you once again, Jonathan. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, yep, right there we'll put the, put the full stop. Uh, Steve, why didn't you say who said having fun and being serious can't go hand in hand? You that was bloody brilliant.